Hi, I'm Brad. Hi, I'm Harrison. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis program wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of February 2021, and is once again time for our monthly Tales from the Shelf episode. Um, in this case, however, it's going to be a uh, what I'd like to call uh, Super Turbo Champion Edition, uh, EX plus Alpha. Um, if you didn't get the reference, then maybe you're listening to the wrong podcast. Um, that's a reference, of course, to Street Fighter and Capcom's attempts to basically stretch one game into like 16 games yeah. um but in case you didn't notice uh, we did have a new voice uh present uh during our intro here so first things first though i'll introduce my regular co-host for these tales from the shelf episodes uh brad how's it going it's going great you know uh it's another tales from the shelf glad to be here will not be discussing uh dvds on this one so that'll be uh, a nice uh nice break from my hatred of those but uh yeah glad to be back Fantastic. Yeah, in case you're not aware, folks at home, uh, Brad has a lovely podcast of his own reviewing films from week to week uh, called Cinema Speak, and uh, occasionally I uh, appear on that show, but uh, pretty much every month, Brad and I collaborate uh, both on our Tales from the Shelf episodes, as well as our Catching Up on Blu-ray episodes. But uh, the third voice on the mic today is a newcomer, a new challenger, mm. uh, to use a Street Fighter parlance. Uh, that would be <laughs> Harrison from the... Grief Burrito Podcast. Uh, how's it going, Harrison? So damn good. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to hear that. Um, you, you guys, uh, folks at home, aren't aware of this, but uh, Harrison characterized his state of being before we recorded as being so hype. So hype. And a constant 9 out of 10 hype always through the day, as I said. <laughs> I believe I'm more coffee than man now. It's a risk. <laughs> I got to catch up. I got to drink more coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get on that, Brad. Um, so um, tell us a little bit about the Grief Burrito podcast, because uh, Brad and I, Cinema Speak, catching up on cinema, obviously there's a through line there. We mm -hmm. both generally talk about movies. However, the Grief Burrito podcast, I don't think anybody on the planet, just based on the name, would be able to guess what that's about. <laughs> Maybe you can fill us in on that. Yeah, that, that name has been a... A godsend and a detriment to our show because on the one hand, I can get that tag absolutely everywhere. So like we are just grief burrito everywhere. I've never struggled to get it. On the other hand, people are just like, what does that even mean? And it came from just when you're really, really sad, the only thing that can cheer you up is a massive plate of food. And we just used to go to this burrito place. So we're all gamers. We love movies. And now and then we talk about the paranormal as well. So that's the show and that's the name. But now people seem to see that name and go oh that's that weird show that talk about weird shit sometimes <laughs> so yeah that's us <laughs> <laughs> fantastic i'm not gonna lie the first time i heard it um i thought of the the act of griefing um in like online games and whatnot yeah um i i had a buddy way back in the day who he would uh constantly grief people in i, I think it was like chivalry or one of those games and his okay. justification no it was mountain blade Oh, he'd Mountain play Blade, that online, yeah. and he'd he'd uh he'd walk up on the ladders uh, mm -hmm. to do like a siege, yeah. and he'd just stand and prevent anyone from being able to get into the keep. <laughs> um, and his justification for his actions was, every game that I grief people within, 
I make sure to develop like some measure of skill within. So he's like, I, I put my time in. I got yeah. good. Now I'm finding alternative ways of enjoying myself within this game, <laughs> even if that means, you know, ruining other people's experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad you, you guys aren't naming yourselves after the practice of griefing. No, no. I mean, it's a nice tie-in, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so generally what, what I've heard you guys talk about on your show, though, um, is centered around gaming for the most part yeah predominantly a gaming show yeah yeah being as that's the case uh and the name of the show is tales from the shelf uh i i thought it would be interesting uh to pivot away from movies and just uh kept like focus on on the shelf aspect mm -hmm. of the title where that doesn't necessarily mean talking about movies uh, in this case uh, i figured it'd be appropriate to talk about like gaming collections mm -hmm. uh so being as this is essentially a pilot program for our uh, Super Turbo Champion Edition EX Plus Alpha uh, Tales from the Shelf, um, I figure uh, it would just be nice to talk in very broad terms about, uh, I don't know, games or franchises uh, that are particularly important to not only our collections, but I guess our, our collecting habits. Mm -hmm. um, so being as you're you're the you're the new challenger here, Harrison, I, I, <laughs> I think it would be appropriate to have you go first uh, in our uh rotating game of show and tell here so uh how about you share a little something from your game collection okay i i actually just thought of this one now and i wasn't going to talk about it uh because i didn't remember about it but i just looked under my desk and i saw it sitting there after the episode we chatted about last night uh this is a game called fire and ice and if i would say to you a side scroller where you play as a blue spiky creature jumping over platforms you would probably think you'd go to Sonic the Hedgehog, right? <laughs> However, this game... I'll grab the box to show you. This game is for the Atari ST. This came out way before Sonic. <laughs> and it is literally Blue Spiky Platformer. Wow. Starring... Oh, The Daring Adventures of Cool Coyote. And apparently it's the best platformer since Rainbow Islands, allegedly. That's what the box says. I've never played Rainbow Islands, so I can't confirm how good those islands are or how colorful they are. But it's a game that my my dad started off my gaming career. This is something we spoke about on our show on episode 100 because we, we wanted to do a, like a back catalog of how long we've been gaming. And I think I've been gaming for 25 years. I think I started when I was four, if I'm correct, on the on the Atari. So my dad was a gamer and he brought the Atari home and we played all these really strange old games like like that one when gaming at that point seemed very it almost felt like a secret it was like it was niche it was like a small thing that hardly anyone did you went to like a small uh mom and pop game shop over in a town called Northwich it was called Level 42 uh if any of like my regular listeners listen to this episode they'll probably know it if they're from the local area um and it was then that you found all these weird old games from very small developers. It seemed like everyone was indie back then. And like, do, do how far back do your gaming careers go? Like, Brad, like, how when did you start gaming? How old were you when you started gaming? Oh, it would have been before, certainly before I was in first grade, because uh, I know I okay. was gaming in my uh, first house I lived in, and we moved first grade. So I would have been, you know, yeah, probably what four or five years i don't know when when do people start first grade six so yeah probably four or five years old probably around right, there yeah similar to me what about you trevor when did you start like what's the 
Uh, probably very, very similar to both of you, maybe even a little bit earlier. Oh, I, wow. Okay. I, I have I have a surprising number of childhood memories from like three and maybe even a little bit younger than that. Like I certainly remember being like a toddler and having my head stuck between the bars at a McDonald's place at. Um, <laughs> well, that sticks with you. That sticks with you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially when your aunt is laughing at you and you're in like just genuine distress. But so many things make so much more sense now because I know that that just every everything's coming <laughs> <Yeah>. together. <laughs> Well, I mean, they say hoarding is often a sign of trauma, and uh, <laughs> I have a few movies. I, I have a few games. I'm not too many. <laughs> Shut up. I'm not crazy. I'll kill anyone who says I am. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I probably started like three, maybe four. Right. Okay. We, we said that we were similar ages. So like, what consoles did you have? Or like, where did you start? Like, which... Uh, mine, let's see, like my first console that we got that was like new and kind of like Mine and my sister's was uh, the Nintendo 64, but we did have an okay. NES. That well, My sister's older than me, so the NES was kind of hers, and I'm thinking that was probably the first uh, like system I ever played because it was just kind of like a hand-me-down. She had it, and I played it. And um, yeah. But the Nintendo 64 was kind of the first like big console that we got, and you know, like the classic Nintendo 64 uh, kid youtube video like that was basically me on the christmas morning when we got that yeah i think it was all of us we were like it was a collective drum circle of kids in, a, in our neighborhood i think <laughs> everyone was banging on those boxes yeah I, th I think the nes was probably the the first console that we had because I, I think the atari st that was it was basically a computer like it had you know music software it had it was a basic computer that also played games so it was basically a pc but the the nes my dad also brought one of those home and we had you know yeah, the original Mario Brothers, Mega Man 4. Did you ever play Mega Man? Any of the old Mega Man games? Oh, Mega Man was my boy. Oh, um, Meg I, I had so a uh, paper craft uh, quick man helmet. Oh, or really? Actually, no, Bubble Man was my favorite. Uh, my brother always okay. made fun of him because he was kind of chunky. And he was like, why do you want to be Bubble Man? I was like, shut up, Bubble Man's cool. Stop like, fat shaming Bubble Man, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had if I had the vocabulary back then, if I had the terminology, I would have thrown that at my brother. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I had my mom like make me a paper craft uh, bubble man helmet. And Amazing. Mega Man was was and always will be my boy. Yeah. My boy. My boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> my boy. Link, my boy. Um, and uh, Mega Man 4, actually, the introduction of the Mega Buster, that was a really big one for me, too. Yeah, that was the first one I played. So going back to play, I did get Mega Man 3 on the Game Boy Color. Years later, I had this cartridge that I actually found the other day. It's in, I'd, I'd show you the actual cartridge, but it's in one of the multiple boxes that's stocked away. Uh, it was a GameCube cartridge that I got from a market in like Turkey. I'm pretty sure it was Turkey. And it was one of those 37 games in one cartridges. But it wasn't like the games that you get for like these Chinese ones that say like nine million games in one. And it's the same six games just like repeated over and over and over. Uh, this was, was actually 37 games. Strangely, like six of them stopped working. I don't know how they six could stop because the rest still worked. But that had Mega Man 3. So going back to play it without the Mega Buster was quite eye-opening, actually. Like you feel like you've lost a leg or an arm, you know, because you don't, can't charge and get that extra bit of power on there. But the oh, the music in Mega Man that was that was the game that taught me that games can have good music. It may be bleeps and bloops and eight bit chip tune, but I'm all for a bit of chip tune. Still like it now. 
Now, Brad and I have talked about the importance of music and media uh, mm. a few times. And uh, yeah, games in particular, that was a huge part of my development as a person uh, very early mm -hmm. in life because I, w I actually would be the kid who was pissing off my parents humming a lot of those chiptunes. <laughs> um, I remember a story where my, I didn't know about it until after the fact, but I, I spent the night at a friend's house and I guess his mom... I uh, was talking trash about me behind my back to my mom saying like your fucking son was like humming some Star Fox shit <laughs> like at like five in the morning and woke up the whole fucking house and um yeah Mega Man in particular uh actually the the day my brother pointed out to me that um Iron Maiden and Mega Man have a lot of similarities um uh, that that just oh, the, blew my mind yeah, and completely changed my my taste in music <laughs> I never thought about that till just now oh my god it's amazing like it completely changed my outlook on music. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, yeah, yeah. It's all the triplets that diddle in, diddle in, diddle in, diddle in. Yeah, holy crap, that's amazing. Thank you for that. You <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to go back and listen to the Doctor Wily theme from Mega Man Two. Then oh, I was um, actually doing a remix of that myself. I was starting fantastic. to put it together. I, I'm excited to hear that, Harrison, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mega Man music to me is like top tier, uh, especially like eight bit chip tune music. Um, and there's some, there's like a really precise science to it too, because most of those loops are under a minute long, and yeah. you're you the player are going to be subjected to that loop probably 30, 40 times before you clear that level. Mm -hmm. So the amount of focus uh, and precision that went into designing that piece of music, it's like we need to make something that sounds good and is that repetitive mm -hmm. um and nobody will get tired of it like i i don't think i've ever been frustrated with a piece of music from a Mega Man game like even after dying countless times no, like no, being stuck on a level it's or something weird. it rides on this level of um like the nez ran with a i think it was a motorola sound chip like that was quite revolutionary at the time because like games before then the music was kind of, it was a bit grating. Like it was a bit like, okay, this is getting a bit much. But then on, when the NES came out, game music suddenly shifted and you had music like, like, uh, like the original Mario, for example, like everyone loved the music from that. Even though, like you said, it was the same little thing constantly looped, but there was something about the way that it processed the sound that took the harshness out of it, even though it was 8-bit. And to have a, 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 you know, a piece of music that is such a short sample, that you can almost get into a flow state with like when you're gaming it almost goes into the background it, it it's not right there getting you constantly however the Mega Man snare was like i absolutely it was such a good snare sound with that just little like ping of noise there was something just i don't know it, it phased into the gameplay itself and it no longer stood out as a barrier like as something harsh in front of you like i'm struggling to get across what i mean i'm feeling like i'm talking about uh synesthesia so i can't i've got a brace in i can't say synesthesia i'm trying to say it it's really difficult um yeah you guys know what synesthesia is though right do you know what i'm talking absolutely. about absolutely i actually have a friend who has it so he, it's been explained to me um basically it's crossover between multiple senses it is so like yes you I'll hear a sound and you see a color that's right yeah like i have one way you think of uh numbers and its colors like four is yellow for some reason, nine is dark red. Like it doesn't really make sense, but for some reason it just is. But it's the same way with sound like that. Like you said before about sound in film as well. And like, do you know why sound can throw you off so much? Is this something you've looked into before? I have not. How about you, Brad? Uh, just like, like throw you off as in, uh, I guess, what do you mean? 
like, like for, with for example, movies or with mo- even with podcasting like someone will switch off a podcast if the sound quality is bad obviously because it's the main medium of what it is however if you're watching a youtube video if the or you know, if you're playing a game or whatever it is if the visuals are bad but the sound is good people will still watch but if the visuals are amazing but the sound is terrible they will turn off and it's because your brain processes sound first before image even though light obviously moves faster than sound for some reason the human brain comprehends sound first and it will get on your nerves faster it'll make you just turn it off and be like nope <laughs> not dealing with it um that's 100 percent accurate yeah no that's 100 percent accurate i've actually had a phenomenon occurring uh semi-consistently with my sound bar uh, on my television okay. And oh my god, I have been <laughs> this fucking close, Brad. This close to throwing some shit at the t- at the TV uh, because um, I, I watch a lot of martial arts movies. Okay. I watch a lot of action movies. A lot of things that have very precise uh, sound editing. Um, if the hit sounds don't line up with the visuals, it really irritates you. Yeah. Um, especially when those hit sounds are coming like yeah. um, and really loud yeah, like I'm watching like a, a Yip Man movie or something and he's doing the rolling punches and mm-hmm. it's just like and it's like oh wow that is totally out of sync and I'm I can't not notice it and I I've struggled so badly to to make things line up right and it's mm-hmm. actually caused me to walk away from my TV multiple times um, wow but I had no idea that that sound is favored over um, visual stimulus yeah which is strange it doesn't really make sense but it's it it feels right it does brad i can see you nodding you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah well i was just gonna say uh trevor and i just reviewed uh the movie judas and the black messiah and he said he almost turned it off because he didn't like the first little bit of score in the movie so there you go really <laughs> he powered through it but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just this like really abrasive brass just like <laughs> and it was like three notes just like <laughs> it's like nope 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 no nope, no more of that <laughs> how do you feel with dubbed stuff then do you like not i know we're getting a bit away from games but do you struggle then with dubbed movies i do uh i really do um not not things that i know to be dubbed um but mm-hmm. there's a, a thing with a hong kong cinema and just chinese cinema in general that especially from a certain age that is immensely irritating um because china for a a very long period of time up until like the 90s or something wasn't shooting like sync sound um so basically all of their movies were dubbed very similar to like italian giallo stuff Yeah, yeah and even in the native language in which the film was shot the the mouth movements oftentimes don't add up. And not only that, you have a lot of performers that come from different regions of China that don't necessarily speak the same language. So you just have Chow Yun-Fat speaking Cantonese and Michelle Yeoh speaking Mandarin. It's just, it's just fucking Thunderdome. There's no rules. <laughs> and and yeah, it is a little irritating, especially when you know my, my ears aren't precisely attuned to recognize all those different languages. So I'm just like, hang on, did that guy just like talk to someone else in a different language and they responded in a different language and and everybody's out of sync with the film it's like what the fuck is this it's so hard to direct oh god it must be obnoxious but i I think they they find common ground when they're shooting the film but yeah for a very long period of time like in post-production i want to say it was just like very loosey-goosey just like yeah fucking figure it out (laughs) they don't even have a script they just add whatever they want afterwards and just make it work as a story (laughs) 
Those are the best movies, Harrison, <laughs> where you just shoot a bunch of shit and figure it out in post. <laughs> uh, so did you have anything else to say about your, your game, though, your Ice and Fire, or did you just want to talk about that particular It was just, uh, that, just that I saw in... it then, yeah. I just that, just that stage of where I started with gaming, I thought that would be a nice place to kick it off. So one of you guys feel free to take over with one of yours. Okay, well that that was a fantastic discussion. Like I I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, obviously, I think we all have a lot to say about just music in general in media. Yeah. Um. So maybe we'll have to come back to that someday. But uh, Brad, uh, you want to share one of your games from your collection? Hey, you want to talk about music some more? Let's go right back to it. I got a couple games here with uh some great soundtracks. Um, and I kind of focused on like uh, franchises because in terms of like collecting games, it's like what games are the ones where I just would continue to buy every single entry in them, even if I didn't want them or it just contributed to collecting more and more. So uh, one of the first franchises I ever played was the Tony Hawk franchise, which I loved nice. as a kid. And here I've got Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. For the Nintendo 64, and my personal favorite of the franchise, Tony Hawk's Underground, which I have for the PlayStation 2. Um, I just, these games are tons of fun. I love the humor in them, um, and the soundtracks are amazing. Potentially could have contributed to my taste in music because I played these games at such a young age that you know it might have shaped me into who I am today. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I love these games. I think they're especially the early ones, were very well done. Obviously, they had a little while there in the last, I don't know, five, ten years where they really dipped in quality, and I will admit that I stopped buying them <laughs> during that period. Um, but I did buy the, the remaster of 1 and 2, so I'm back. I'm back on the Tony Hawk train, baby. The, the Tony train has left the station once again. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, dude. The, the first time I ever, well, actually, probably the only time I ever played one of those Tony Hawk games, I think it was a uh, Pizza Hut demo disc uh, for the first <laughs> nice. game. And it was just like the, the basic like training skate park. And I think there was a time limit for how long you could play the stage. But uh, I had a shit ton of fun with it. It's just mm -hmm. one of those games where you don't even have to know what the fuck you're doing. You just spin that stick and he does stuff. And more <laughs> often than not, he cracks his fucking head open on the floor and that was entertaining for me. So most of the times I just tried to grind on things because I yeah. couldn't I couldn't figure out how to stick the landing on most of those tricks. But yeah, those games had a they had a moment, man. Like oh, yeah. like a rock band slash guitar hero kind of moment. In fact, I think the same developer uh, was it the Guitar Hero folks? Did they make that series? Uh, I think you might be right. What is it? Nev Neversoft? Nev something? Something? Neversoft? Yeah, with the eye with the yeah, eyeball yeah, I, the stabbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to say it was them. Uh, so that's an interesting connection. They they were really big on hitting those trends uh, really hard. Um, unfortunately, like you pointed out, uh, it seems like they kind of crapped out there towards the end when they tried to make that peripheral. Was it the Tony Hawk skate game or whatever? Yeah, they had the board on the floor that you stood on, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as far as I understand, it was a disaster. Like, it, it wasn't responsive. They were trying to do the Guitar Hero thing where it's like, okay, we're going to introduce this killer app with a peripheral that... Mm -hmm. uh, moms and dads will buy for their kids because it looks cool and then when they get it home oh shit the thing don't work and the kid <laughs> and cracks the head off the fireplace <laughs> yeah as, as somebody who at one point in his life worked at a thrift store i can confirm we got a lot of those boards <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but Harrison, do you have any background with the Tony Hawk games? I actually don't. I always went with uh, the snowboarding games instead i absolutely loved SSX if you remember those games 
Mm -hmm. SSX3 particularly, that was the, I played it in America when I was, I think I was actually, I went to Disneyland in Florida because I've got family across America. So we went out to stay with them uh, in Milwaukee, uh, in Wisconsin. And then we flew out to Florida, did all that sort of stuff, went back. And my cousin had SSX3 and I, I didn't complete it, but I was very close. And I mean, it must have been the day after I got home, I went straight out and I bought SSX3 and SSX Tricky. And I still have them. They're in my collection. SSX3 is actually in my GameCube right now, sat there. Uh, and that that game, like to be able to skate, oh, not skate, sorry, snowboard down the entire mountain in one free-flowing level was insane when you realize that you can get to that point. Like it was like a half an hour course all the way down. And it was really clever in the way that it did it, that it wasn't... Um, 3d geometry that they built the levels with it was with bezier curves in maths basically so it meant that the gamecube even though it wasn't the most powerful console it could render the entire mountain in one go and it meant that the the mathematics and the physics based jumps that you did as you went off like jumps and grinds were like a hundred percent more accurate than they would be if it was polygonal geometry because you'd be bouncing off corners of snow and our listeners are obviously smart enough to know that snow doesn't have corners <laughs> unless you really <laughs> you really mold it but you know you know what i'm talking about yeah and i, I don't I, know I, how <laughs> snow works in the uk but here in america <laughs> we got freedom square snow <laughs> we got freedom triangular snow <laughs> i actually i will i just want to preface something actually something in my collection that i still love is these gamecube controllers and like i've modded this one and I've fit all the see-through red buttons and sticks just because I think it looks absolutely badass with the black control. But That's that is one of the most comfortable... It is. I'm struggling <laughs> not to lick it right now, if I'm honest, Brad. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the most ergonomic designed controls that there ever has been. And so many people never even played the GameCube, and I don't know why. Like, the, the Xbox is a wonderful control. Like, that control is very well designed I, and again that's another modded one like i like i like to change to make stuff colorful basically um as you can see in my purple room uh, <laughs> but yeah i just i think more people need to have played that and i i think it gets so much stick and i'm looking at shark select boys if they listen to this episode they give shit to the gamecube all the time and i don't by the way can i swear on this podcast i just realized i've been swearing a lot yeah, yeah, we're all about it here. Fuck yeah, <laughs> let's carry on. Yeah, fuck you guys, Shot Select. <laughs> Play the GameCube is what I'm getting at. No, I, I agree. Uh, the GameCube is is certainly underappreciated. Um, I know for a long time the, the console market at that point in time when it was you know getting rolling was a little bit crowded because mm -hmm. uh, the PS2 was a was a fucking beast. It was. Um, Xbox, I was never too keen on, but there were there were a lot of uh, like anti-Japanese gamers um, that, that kind of favored the Duke and, uh, you know, the Halo box. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was mostly a PS2 person. Um, mm -hmm. But the GameCube, um, when they got the exclusive on the Resident Evil series for that stretch of time, yeah. um, I think that opened a lot of people's eyes to what you could do with the hardware on that thing. And they had a lot of really good games on there that really did go underappreciated. And uh, the controller, like you said, it mm -hmm. feels fantastic. There's a reason why people are still using that for Smash and stuff these days. Yeah, um, yeah. When Nintendo lets them and they're not like, locking them out of their own When Nintendo lets them. <laughs> 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 um, but SSX was one of those franchises that um, I, I said I was a PS2 guy, but I I mean, Brad, you, you know this from talking movies with me. I, I have like a, 
a little bit of contrarian in me like okay. it, it's just it's always been there since i was a child like like you tell me this thing is good and then i, I narrow my eyes at you and i go mm, i don't think i want it <laughs> and like like for instance uh, jack and daxter never okay. played one of those um same with ratchet and clank never played any of those me neither um and ssx similar um I remember the gaming magazines at the time. I think I actually had a, a PlayStation magazine subscription at the time. Like every every single one of those games that came out got glowing reviews. And I was like, mm, I don't think I care. <laughs> so, I don't believe it. <laughs> so I never bothered. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm, I'm going to go over here and like play some pro bass fishing or something. <laughs> but I've always been that way. But um, So Brad, you played... Tony Hawk on the Nintendo 64, though, was was that always the c- console that you remember playing that game on? Well, I, you know, I don't know. This might be a little bit of, uh, I guess, the reverse Mandela effect. I don't know. But I was uh, digging through my Nintendo 64 games, and I would have told you that the first console I really played it on was the PlayStation 2, and I found this in my pile of games. And I don't remember... I'll be honest, I don't remember playing this on a Nintendo 64 at all, but I owned it, so I'm sure I must have played it. Um, but I think it was the PlayStation 2 was really where I played a lot of it. I think that's where I played 3, 4, Underground, Underground 2. I mean, I was I was buying them all. I mean, well, I mean, I was like probably in elementary school and middle school, so it was my parents buying them all, but <laughs> I was asking for them all for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so what Brad is not telling us is that he had some he had some moments where he would black out and beat up little children in the parking lot of Target and mm-hmm. steal their Tony Hawk games. He's like, I don't know how I got this Nintendo Just 64 got a box Tony full Hawk of game. Bright yellow no cartridges. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's, con- he's collecting the banana colored cartridges. <laughs> there there is a little bit of blood on it. There is a little bit of blood on it. Now that you mention that, so it could be. It could it's probably it probably has Timmy written in Sharpie on the back too. <laughs> Uh, but Brad, uh, before we get away from Tony Hawk, um, we were talking about music earlier, and you said the the music hit you at like a pivotal moment in your your upbringing and whatnot. Uh, do you have any like favorite tracks from from those Tony Hawk games? Um, boy, I, I can't remember which ones were in which, but I know uh, there was uh, Ring of Fire was on one of them, and at a young age, it was probably the first time I'd heard Johnny Cash. Uh, the yeah. Doors was heavily featured on another, and then a lot of punk groups that I would never have heard of um, otherwise. I mean, it's not like I, you know, I grew up listening to like classic rock and stuff, but uh, you know, some there was definitely some deep cuts on these soundtracks, which I liked and kind of introduced me to some music that wouldn't have normally heard from. Okay, yeah, I mean, I would call those deep cuts for a, a game that was probably put out in like early two thousands or nineteen ninety nine or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I seem to remember a lot of people being nostalgic for, um, was it Offspring, um, maybe yeah. on the first game or something, mm, or maybe yeah, all yeah. of them. Uh, uh, but like I said, only time I ever played was that Pizza Hut demo disc. <laughs> <laughs> Real highbrow shit. <laughs> discs were great. I actually, I'm, that's something I miss about gaming now. Like we were saying before about digital gaming, you don't get demo discs anymore. You don't get cheat code books. Like, I love mm-hmm. cheat code books when they were stuck on the front of the Nintendo magazines. Like, I used to love getting those kind of things. I still stand by that the the PlayStation Hercules game never existed. It only existed as a demo. Like, because I've never... I, everyone <laughs> I know had that demo disc, and no one had the game. So, I <laughs> don't think it existed. Well, I, I can half confirm that, actually, because I remember renting that from a Blockbuster, and the game... I don't know if it was the disc was damaged or something, but I got a game-breaking glitch in that game where I oh. came across like a waterfall or something, and the game was still running, but like a five-second chunk of the music just kept looping and like it 
like a hard cutoff. So clearly something was wrong. And then I couldn't advance. Like there was a puzzle that I was supposed to solve and nothing I could do would fix it. I looked into it after the fact and it was, the game was broken. So I ended up. I think, I I think we just solved it. I think they hit an early crunch time and they were just like, just ship it, just ship it. And they were like, we've only got one level up to the waterfall. And they were like, it doesn't matter. Just go, send it out. (laughs) It's a fake fucking game anyway. Who cares? (laughs) Weirdly, the demo is longer than the actual game. Doesn't it make any sense? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I got the the retail demo (laughs) as opposed to the mail-in one that everybody else got. Um, Well, I suppose the ball is to me. It is. Uh, So, um, Brad, uh, this is going to ring true with a lot of the movie discussions we've had um so a thing that comes up on a lot of these tales from the shelf episodes is uh imports uh i've been importing movies uh since i was probably like 11 or something i would poke my dad and be like hey dad can i get a money order and he was like how the fuck do you know what a money order is and why do you need it (laughs) and it was so i could drugs dad uh, (laughs) well thankfully no i was using it to send money to bootleggers on the other side of the country uh, so I could get Godzilla movies that had yet to be released in this country. Ah. <laughs> so that's where my habit started, and that's where my uh, contrarian media consumption habit began. Where it wasn't what was being served up to me; it was what I what I just wanted. Like, yeah, I always yeah. knew what I wanted, so I'd always gravitate towards that. Um, and that also extends to, or did anyway, my uh, my gaming diet. Um, okay, probably around like high school. Uh, so I have here a Super Famicom game. A oh, Japanese nice. Super Nintendo game. Uh, it's a Dragon Ball Z Hyper Dimension. Okay. Um, and then paired up with that, I also have uh, Front Mission Gun Hazard, uh, which is a Squaresoft game in the Front Mission series, which I would very much like to see get resurrected someday. But uh, the reason why I chose these two games is because uh, Dragon Ball Z Hyper Dimension was kind of like this this fabled game that uh, this was. I got this game. Uh, before there was like extensive coverage of import games and stuff online like youtube didn't exist yet mm-hmm. um and like game facts didn't have images or anything uh so this was a game that i learned about through word of mouth uh, okay. i had a friend who often had japanese exchange students who also had a friend uh, who was really into importing anime and games from that era and stuff mm-hmm. uh, so this game was talked about on the playground all the time um, and at that point in time, Dragon Ball Z existed on television, like on Cartoon Network, um, but it was only like the first 50 episodes or something, which unfortunately in Dragon Ball terms is like a drop in the bucket. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, but uh, being as I have uh, Japanese in the family and uh, Dragon Ball was kind of wrapped up by 1995, honestly, in terms of television broadcasts mm-hmm. and stuff, I was aware of all the stuff I was missing out on. Uh, so I got my dad to get me a money order so I could buy this game uh, via eBay uh, from some person somewhere in the continental United States. And uh, then I had to figure out how to modify my Super Nintendo. So I did the thing where you tear the plastic tabs out of the cartridge base. Um, so that was interesting. This is um, modern, right? And then I, <laughs> <Just let it> <laughs> break. <laughs> no joke. That's how you mod a Super Nintendo for international play. Um, but I, I had to figure all this stuff out in a in an era of the internet where it wasn't particularly easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so it was a little bit of an adventure, and I was also really into Dragon Ball and stuff at that time. So, I, like I said, this was me trying to get ahead of the pack. Where it's like, okay, 
Cartoon Network keeps putting the show on every week and then it does the Ren and Stimpy thing where they show 13 episodes and then roll it back to the beginning because they didn't license the entire series. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but Hyperdimension uh, came out in like 1995 for the Super Famicom and it, it includes characters and events that go up until the very end of the series. And uh, man, uh, it blew my mind. Like in terms of sprite animation, like the music's not fantastic, but in terms mm-hmm. of animations and... Uh, like the depth of the fighting mechanics because it is a it is a 2d fighter um, okay although it's more akin to like a, a early fatal fury game in that there's multiple planes like there's a foreground and a background plane um, oh right so it's similar to like a street fighter 2 but it's like super street fighter 2 in that there's desperation moves like not super combos um, mm-hmm. but if your health gets low you get access to like a super duper death blow um, but it's a very complex game for its day for i never even heard of it never even heard of that game uh, if you like sprite animation, uh, even if you're not very handy with fighting game mechanics and stuff, it's wonderful to look at. Um, the animation quality and the art style in particular is radically different up. from any other Dragon Ball games of that era. Um, some of the earlier games, the Chobutoden games, mm-hmm. they made three of them for the Super Famicom. They're they're serviceable, but they are jank as fuck. <laughs> so like, jank. like like they are so goddamn jank. Like you press the punch button and your character just teleports like several several body lengths ahead of them so they just kind of like shuffle into each other um they're extraordinarily jank they're just they're prototypical example of like a licensed game where we can half-ass it and the kids will still eat it up Uh, but hyperdimension they really went above and beyond and tried to make a fucking game with it um it's it's really fun in fact i still remember yeah the art is really good it's very good in motion as well um so it's not just still frames do do you know what you've just like accessed another part of my memory brain that I didn't know that I had because I remember like early days of the internet like you were saying uh, saving loads of GIFs from games like this is when I got into making my own games like uh, I started getting sprite animators and the 3D game maker that sort of stuff when I was probably like 13 something like that and I had saved a load of these animations I've seen a lot of these moves like the Vegeta moves the Goku moves this is really cool. Thank you for reminding me about that because I had totally forgotten about that part of my life. Thank you, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, I, I dabbled in a, a game maker program. I didn't do shit with it, but yeah. um, just for fun, I made some character sprites and made walk cycles for them just to see if I could. Mm-hmm. I think I used the uh, Chrono Trigger template because those yeah. sprites for like RPGs were a little bit larger than yeah, 32 typical, bit, like, yeah. square soft sprites. Yeah, they they had a few more pixels to them um, than some of those earlier like Final Fantasy games and stuff. But yeah, Hyperdimension was fantastic. Um, and Front Mission Gun Hazard, same friend, turned me on to it. And uh, I my Japanese skills are fragmented at best. Um, I can listen to conversations and typically know what's being talked about. But when it comes to responding I, I talk like a caveman it's like me go place good <laughs> um, and uh this was a game that it's primarily an action game but it is it is a squaresoft game from the mid 90s um so i don't know if you've either of you have ever heard of the super nintendo game metal warriors or a uh, cybernator cybernator um, yeah i've heard of that uh, assault suit uh, series is the japanese title it's like a multi-game series but it's basically mm-hmm. a side-scrolling mech shooting game um that has it's kind of like blaster master in that there's a button where you can eject from the mech and like hop into other mechs and stuff oh cool um 
front mission gun hazards very much like that but it has like an in-depth story and a uh like rpg elements where you can customize your mech and like build up a, a team and stuff and i really really had to like be fastidious with my uh, Japanese learning skills at that time because I, I was studying it in, like in school when I picked this game up um, and I kind of used it as a project to get better at it because this game was a lot of fun but there's a lot of subtleties to the gameplay that are completely lost on you if you can't read right um, so I, I learned how to read just well enough to like enjoy the game and it's it's also one that I would I don't know if it's been um, added to like the Nintendo online store or anything, but if it has, uh, by all means, uh, you guys should check it out. It's really, it's really good and ahead of its time. And the Front Mission series in general is just phenomenal. Um, I, to this day, I have no idea why they they haven't been capitalizing on that because it's, well, actually I know why because that Left Alive game came out a couple years ago and completely shat the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but Brad, uh, were you a Dragon Ball kid at all, or you had to have grown up with some Dragon Ball fans in your school or something? Uh, my cousins were really big into it. Uh, I, ne- I never got into Dragon Ball, um, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah, my cousins were really big into it. So I was like kind of exposed to it when ever I would go over to their place. But, uh, I feel like maybe I would, I, I don't know. I never got into it. So maybe I just like zoned out while we watched it or something. Cause I couldn't tell you a thing, a single thing about Dragon Ball. It was a great series. He, you, you failed to rock the dragon. <laughs> I did. I guess. That's that's all right, Brad. <laughs> you you did not rock the dragon. That that's fine. I mean, it's uh, it's actually kind of responsible for turning me off to anime as I got older. Was because he, it serves as like a good uh, baseline, like introduction mm-hmm. to shonen anime, where it's like there is a format. Where it's like okay it's tournament arc time it's like okay it's a beach vacation episode time yeah. <laughs> it's like and it starts to become very trope ridden and the worst part about dragon ball was that it's adapted from a manga but the the number of episodes you can tell they were stretching it well yeah a third of it's fucking the announcer talking about what's going to happen last episode next episode and what's happening this one <laughs> well and and the just the Japanese style of storytelling with anime and manga, a lot mm-hmm. of it is cutaways to just like natural beauty, where it's just like, okay, we have grass blowing in the wind now. Yeah. Cut back to Vegeta going, <laughs> and then, oh, wait, we still have 10 minutes to go in the episode. It's like, well, uh, he's not going to do anything, being as we, we already had the good animation budget used for the first 20 minutes of the episode, but mm-hmm. we still have those 10 minutes left. So it's like, well, let's just recycle some frames and uh, yeah, Make let's, him scream let's just have bit. him assume that position and just power up for the last 10 minutes of the episode. Yeah. We don't have to worry about anything more happening in the episode. It already happened 20 minutes ago. <laughs> just, th- as long as one thing <laughs> happens each episode, we're good. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad always used to ask about that. He was always like, why do you watch this? It's just a pink guy screaming. And it was always the the Margin <laughs> Boo series, and I was like, "Yeah, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> it is." <laughs> but it was good. Like, Vegito was the coolest character when Vegeta and Goku like combined together with the fancy little earrings that they had. That was cool. Yeah, I mean, he was in like three episodes or something, yeah. but yeah, he was cool. Um, I actually preferred the movies. Uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. would disagree about that because they're all self-contained. But I'm a stickler when it comes to animation. Like, I, I hate. I hate seeing the strings. What I what I mean by that is like seeing the manipulation on the part of the production company, where it's like, I, I wasn't kidding. Like they do things like that, like the story behind the Family Guy moment where Peter Griffin stubs his toe or whatever and goes, ah, is that they ran out of money 
and they needed to fill time. So they're like, okay, we have no money for the rest of this episode, so let's waste a half a minute of just this loop of him going, ah! And never that happens that. in animation all the time. I mean, the the story of Yogi Bear and the reason why he has a, a collar and a tie, even though he's not clothed, that is a naked bear, other than a hat and a tie, mm-hmm. is that they separated his animation cells into a head and a body, and the, the tie covers the seam between the two. Oh, so they would right. animate the two things in like individually, separate from each other. So oftentimes just the head would be moving or just the body would be moving and the head would just be like RoboCop or Batman. Yeah, that, you actually can notice that now that you think about it. Yeah, that he did kind of move a bit like he did his back, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he heard his back <laughs> stealing all those picnic baskets. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But in Japanese animation, they, they do that shit all the time, especially with something that is like 270 episodes or something. Mm-hmm. They... You can actually very clearly pinpoint when something important is going to happen in the episode because the character models change drastically, where it's like, oh, we have the good people doing the drawings today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, we had the shit people. <laughs> like, we had the apprentices and stuff. And that pace is, is really obnoxious. Like, I, I would much prefer to have fewer episodes and have things be consistent and, and you know, seamless. But yeah. Ah, that's neither here nor there. It's but. it's funny though, don't you think now that now that we see a lot more, uh, I suppose this goes for cartoons as well. Uh, like we've had, uh, have you seen Has Been Hotel and Hell of a Boss? They're like huge uh, on not YouTube. Not familiar to me. No, right. Check these out. Hell of a Boss has done three episodes, I think, and Has Been Hotel has done a pilot episode, and it has like fifty-eight million views on YouTube. Yes, wow. on a pilot wow. episode. It was animated over a course of two years by an artist called Vivzy Pop with the help of loads of indie animators. Just all random people on YouTube just going through it. And it is beautifully animated. And we got to interview the sound designer a couple of episodes back, um, going on about like sound design again, like how, how in-depth you can go to make it good. Uh, Kennedy Phillips knows his shit. Like, he is great. Um, but you see that in cartoons, like you were saying then, but you also see it in games now. And now that you see small indie studios doing stuff, they take so much more care on what they're making. And it can be that, sure, an indie game will pull in the scope. You know, the the game won't be, you know, it won't be a cyberpunk where you can craft everything, you can drive everything. You know, they're not trying to do everything that you need to do. It doesn't need a crafting system in, you know, a first-person shooter. You don't always need to craft things. I don't need to mine things either. I'm, I'm roguelike. I'm sick of roguelike games. Stop doing roguelike games. But indie here, games here. can do so, so much more with such a smaller package and pay so much more attention to what they're doing. Don't you think you see that in games now? Like in some of Absolutely. the indie games that are coming out are wonderful. Those are the ones that I, I find myself playing, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's like I actually I I haven't played a Gears of War since the third one. So I, I skipped Judgment and 4, but mm-hmm. uh, 5 was on sale a while back on yeah. Steam sale. And I fired it up and I was like, whoa, 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 open world? Whoa, mm-hmm. what what are we doing? Like, yeah, what is this? You're asking me to care? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a story, there's mm-hmm. emotions, and there's a objective spread across a map. And I was actually getting straight up pissed. I was like, this is not what I paid for. <laughs> it's like I, I know what big men in is. metal suits. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a full dumb co-op game. <laughs> like this is like this has emotionality and like a a traveling sequence and stuff where I have to like look for objectives. And I was like, this is this is 
precisely the reason I bought this game is because I didn't want that because yeah, yeah. the gaming market, the AAA market anyway, is mm-hmm. inundated with that shit, like collectathons and craftathons, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the indie stuff, like because I'm in my early 30s and I was raised on the Mega Mans, the Mega Man, I'm the Mega Mans, uh, <laughs> my boy. Uh, I'm accustomed to smaller games with more focus. Uh, so things yeah. like Cuphead. Uh, and a game actually I've had my eye on for a long time that's not out yet called Hunt Down. Um, th- okay. Things with just like really beautiful sprite animations that know what they're trying to do and just focus on doing that as opposed to trying to please everybody. Um, more often than not, when it comes to contemporary gaming, that's what I'm going for. Same, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, have, have you played... Uh, this This is a game that is only in my collection in that it's on Game Pass. Like, I don't own it, but I want to own it. I absolutely love it. I've played through it three times in the past two months. Like, I've completed it front to back. It's called Night in the Woods. Have you played it? I have not. Never even heard of it, to be honest. Okay. So you play as a cat. A cat girl drops out of college and goes back to live in a small town where she grew up with her mum and dad in her 20s. And as someone who did the exact same thing and, like, after I finished university, because I did finish, I went, I studied game design. That's what I did at uni. So like I did art and that sort of stuff. I left uni. I started my business and I moved back in with my parents and in a small town in autumn where it's just always awesome. Nothing happens here. It's, there's nothing. It's just old people around here. There's nothing. There's nothing where we live. It hits so hard as a story beat, but the game itself is fascinating and it doesn't have loads of gameplay there's no combat really it's basically talking to people and learning the story of the town and if there's one game that i can implore you to play during lockdown is this game trust me i played it in the autumn while all the leaves were falling so i was i'd go out on my walks and experience that and then come back and play it in the game and it was like this is perfect it is wonderful please play it trevor buy it now so it's available on, you said Game Pass, is that Xbox? Xbox, yeah. It's on Switch, it's on PlayStation, it's on everything, absolutely every console on the side. Is it on PC, though? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, because that, that's going to be my route to it. But you, Brad, you got an Xbox, right? Console boy. <laughs> I got get Game it. Pass, baby. I'll be, I'll be playing <laughs> oh, it tonight. Yeah. I got Game Pass. Down, get it downloaded right after this. Yeah. Play it with headphones. The music's lovely. We legit should actually check that out. And mm. uh, my brother actually recently started a game uh, podcast called Couch Co-op. Um, they've actually oh, yeah. been doing uh, weekly episodes. Um, I'll have to turn him on to that because mm-hmm. actually he made a pretty astute observation recently that he's starting to notice that you can tell there's a generational shift in uh, the gaming landscape because uh, conflict and violence seem to be falling out of fashion in uh, yeah. in games these days. Mm-hmm. Whereas back in the day, that's all you did in games. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like kill, maim. <laughs> um, but it seems like different people with different perspectives are are kind of dictating where games are going these days. And it's mm-hmm. fascinating to watch it unfold, especially with, you know, my perspective of having been raised on a different form of game where it's like, I don't know about this. It's like, there's no kill button. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of like the, uh, the walking simulator games, like uh, gone home and what remains of Edith Finch, where it's just like super relaxing. You You're one. just kind of like exploring mm-hmm. a house and just kind of like letting a story unfold. 
Like, you know, it, it get, blurs the line of, you know, game versus movie. It's almost like getting in between the two of them where it's just you're kind of just like walking around, almost experiencing an interactive movie in a way. Um, but I love those games to just kind of like sit back, relax, you know, eat, have a bag of Cheetos and just mow down and, you know, experience the story. That's that's very much what Night in the Woods is. So, yeah, you'll you'll love it. Trust me. I can cool, feel cool. you'll like it. <laughs> all right well, well we'll both have to try that but you you especially brad um but mm-hmm. uh i suppose ball is to you harrison uh you I mean did you want to just use that as your pick or do you have something else at the ready? Uh, I've, I've got tons i mean Go for like it. we were saying about the n64 before i've I've been going back through uh I, I found myself over in lockdown and i think it's because i'm doing i'm doing a lot of gaming because like uk is still in full lockdown like we can't go anywhere i don't want to date this episode obviously but obviously that's what's happening in the world so everyone kind of knows uh so i've been going back through my game collections as i'm getting very bored with current games that was what made me play night in the woods i was like i've seen this thing and it's weird i'm just going to download it see what it's like loved it so now i've been trying to pull back to play a lot of my older games because i feel like there's too many games to play and that sounds like the most first world problem you can have like (laughs) oh i've got access to all these game pass games but I wanted to go back to me being like 14 and playing the games that I love unconditionally. And I know that the there was a leak recently of the GoldenEye remaster that Rare worked on. And I've been playing that. So I managed to get hold of it. <laughs> uh, oh, so, shit. Yeah, so I've been having a go of that. And I will say that it, it has the wonderful level of jank and charm that we love, as we said about jank earlier. And the AI is still hilarious, but it looks fucking great. They did an amazing job. I will still preface that some of the levels are dog shit. Like the statue level. Do you remember that level? It was like... Oh my God. It, it was a maze. It was yeah. so dark. I've just been doing that one today. Yeah. It took me like four tries. I got so annoyed. I've turned it off three times. So I was just like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I can't see anything, even on the remaster one. Uh, but yeah, it's great. So I love that. So I've been going back to my GameCube as well. I've been playing Metroid Prime. Have any of you guys played Metroid Prime? I have not, but I, I, I know its reputation. I have some friends that were obsessed with it. How about you, Brad? Yeah, yeah I, I've never played it either. But yeah, I've heard, you know, a lot of things about it. It's it's a wonderful game in that it was it was probably the most realistic graphic game for the GameCube. And you play as Samus Aran, who's a, a space bounty hunter. She's like the original badass bitch in a big like metal armor suit. She was great. And uh you but you basically crash on a planet you lose all your gear and you have to uncover what is happening with the the space pirate army that have been basically decimating this planet after a huge meteorite strikes it and all this strange nuclear radiation reeks uh, well spreads out across the planet basically wreaking havoc across it and it's just there's something about it the way that it did learning about the world and if you're familiar with games like dark souls it's a very similar way in that the law isn't given to you in the story there aren't npcs you don't have conversations with anyone in the game i actually don't think there is another thing you talk to in the first game entirely you, but you have a scan visor and you can scan everything i'm going to say scan everything i mean you can scan everything the flora the fauna everything doorways switches and it teaches you about this planet and what had happened on the world as this meteorite was coming to strike it and it continues on into like Metro Prime 2 and 3 as well, which have just been, uh, you can you can get those for the Wii as like a pack. A Metro Prime 4 will be out soon. Uh, and that's one of the things that 
I've been wanting to add to my collection. This is something I want to ask you two about. Like, what are you like wanting to add? Because first for figures, make some Samus Aran figures. And they are like 500 pounds. They are so expensive. Oh, fuck. But they look so good. Like, they light up. She's got a light up gun and all lights on the screen. Better suit. fucking light up. I know, Jeez. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better have LEDs for days. Yeah, Jeez. so many LEDs. Yeah, they, but this, I just don't know why they're so expensive. But they are wonderful, wonderful collectibles. And the, the amount of detail they put on these figures, they do all sorts. They do like Luigi from Luigi's Mansion with his Hoover. They've done a Sonic one with him running through the checkpoint with the ball spinning that lights up. Uh, is there anything like that, that, like Trevor? Is there anything you want in collectibles like that? Have you seen anything? In collectibles, yeah, um, not so much like gaming related. I mean, I do have collectibles, but uh, not so much like fandom kind of stuff. Okay, like, especially like gaming affiliated. Um, mm-hmm. I I mostly just go for games these days. Um, the the largest collection I have is Super Nintendo games. Yeah, um, and those are starting to the the prices are starting to get exorbitant. Like they're yeah, kind of yeah. nasty, but. Um, We'll see how long that lasts, um, because there's probably going to be a generational shift where I don't know a lot of uh, a lot of love gets cast on the uh, Nintendo 64 as the consumer market starts to age out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of like collectibles, I don't really have anything I'm I'm gunning for that's gaming related. How about you, Brad? Um, yeah, I don't know if I have any gaming related collectibles, but uh, I do uh, somewhat. Ironically, somewhat unironically, uh, collect Funko Pops, um, which started as kind of an ironic purchase. Like, these things are so fucking stupid. Yeah, I'll buy one of these because it looks stupid on my shelf. And then, you know, once you buy one, you're like, well, you know, that one's kind of cool. I'll buy that one. And then, yeah, I'll throw that one. And then all of a sudden, you've got 47 of them scattered around your room. And you're like, how did I become a Funko Pop collector? I don't even think these things are that cool. But the thing I do like about the Funko Pops specifically is they're fairly cheap they're pretty easy to purchase but they um come out with such like i guess uh deep cuts for a lack of a better term Mm -hmm. like the fact that i can buy collectibles from the hbo series the leftovers which in the grand scheme of things does not have like a huge fandom but the fact that they came out with like collectible figurines from this show this like super dark drama that it does not have like a huge fandom I think is interesting. So I like buying it in terms of like the, the deep cut fandoms that normally don't get collectible figures. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, like I, I, so- I think there's something about with, with gaming figures, like there's a lot of companies like, like Nintendo, for example, they don't really do a lot of stuff with their own, like Funko Pop don't do any Zelda things, do they? Like my, my probably, well, not probably my, biggest collection of games like this is the one i wanted to move on to last so i suppose i'll I'll go now with this one really uh the legend of zelda is the game series that i own the most things of like this big poster behind me if i'll change the camera so you can see is a majora's mask poster that i got when i went to see i went to see the symphony of the goddess it was a full orchestra doing the game soundtracks and cool. it's one of the best things I've seen too. If you see this thing touring, go and see the Symphony of the Goddess. Even if you don't play Zelda that much, just the musical skill of Koji Kondo and everything that you've written is amazing. So I have owned pretty much every single Zelda game. I wrote a list down of them all. I'm not going to read them all because we're already at like an hour for the episode because there's quite a few. Obviously, we're going into like the 30, 30, 35th year of Zelda this year, I think it is. The, the first one I owned was like on the NES when it was like the golden cartridge. But Majora's Mask for me 
is my favorite Zelda game. And for a lot of people, it isn't. Like a lot of people do not like that game because it's 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 weird as fuck. It's weird as balls, first of all. It's real dark. The moon's coming down to kill everyone in the town. It's just like, it's a really strange moment. But I love it for one, the music, like we said earlier, but just for the strange tone of it. Like as you play Ocarina of Time on the N64, and it's such like a lighthearted, like almost coming of age story of a, a boy becoming a man to save the land kind of thing to then suddenly have that same character. And it is the same, it's the same Link. And in a lot of Zelda games, you know, listeners might not know this, Link isn't the same Link in every Zelda game. However, he is in that one. And he is thrown back to being a kid and he loses his horse. He loses his fairy companion friend and he just goes off in search of a friend, doesn't he, guys? That's what he does for that game. He goes to find his friend and ends up in this town where the moon is going to fall in three days and he gets trapped in a time loop. So from that, I want to say that my favorite collectible is this. It's the Majora's Mask. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. I made this myself. (laughs) It's sculpted from wood. Yeah, it's just one solid piece of wood. And it goes on the wall downstairs. And I just absolutely love Majora's Mask. So that's the next thing I need to get the Ocarina of Time. Yeah, so that's my my next collectible thing. Yeah. Um, Have you played much of Zelda, any of you guys? Uh, Zelda for me was always I've always had kind of a rocky relationship with Zelda okay. uh, mostly because of how I was introduced to the series and that would be um, via the original gourd, uh, gold uh, NES cart and uh, Zelda 2 as well Adventures um, of Link yeah that was my first one yeah mm-hmm. um, I played both of those at a very 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 early age and the first one in particular was just vexing <laughs> like yeah. I, I had no idea what to do and my favorite game at that point in time was uh, either Mega Man related or uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game. Which yeah, so you have a start and right. finish. Yeah, you walk to the right, you, you kill all the things, yeah. uh, you beat the bo- the unfair boss, and then you win the game or you get a game over. Uh, but the adventure and exploration aspect of Zelda really turned me off at a very early age because it was just very frustrating Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a means of figuring out what the game was asking me to do because it really wasn't asking me to do anything it was just like go do stuff do stuff yeah it'll make sense later (laughs) (laughs) and uh the difficulty level of the second one um made that equally frustrating where it was um is very difficult game very punishingly difficult um, the level up mechanic was also very frustrating where there was grinding involved yeah. on top of being lost and not sure of what to do uh, when it came to solving puzzles and on top of that the, the enemies are very difficult and have difficult patterns um, so that was my introduction to to link and zelda and it really turned me off badly yeah um, the only the only Zelda games I've ever really spent an intimate amount of time with and really enjoyed were Link to the Past on the Super Nintendo. Uh-huh. Um, I really did enjoy that, and I did actually complete that one. Um, and then I completely skipped uh, all the Nintendo 64 ones, although I want to say I don't know if this is separated by age range, but there are a tremendous number of people who cite Ocarina of Time as like their favorite game of all time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, for one, skipped it. Same with Majora's Mask. However, I, I know both games by reputation. But the other one was uh, Wind Waker, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, GameCube, as yeah. you brought up earlier. The underappreciated GameCube. I actually did devote quite a bit of time to that. Um, I didn't complete it, but I, I had quite a bit of fun sailing around and uh, clearing those temples. But eventually, I, I, I think I got distracted and just never came back to it. 
But how about you, Brad? You got a background with the Zelda games? Yeah, I, I'm not like the the biggest fan, but uh, Ocarina of Time, like you said, that was certainly one of my earliest gaming memories, and I have played that game a ton. Partly because uh, you know, just I, I played it as a kid, and there's some level of nostalgia for it just ingrained in me. Where uh, you know, there's tons of like other Zelda games that I haven't touched, but I just will sometimes just keep going back to that one, and I, I get the urge to play it again because you know it just makes me feel like a kid again before uh, before life sucked. You know, it was it was when <laughs> life was full of opportunities. Yeah. You just come home from school, have a snack play ocarina time for a little bit it was just a great great time to be alive um so that's really the only one i've delved like a lot of time into but um i would put it up there as in terms of like games that have had the biggest influence on me and you know i'd say yeah it's one of my favorite games which is weird to say because i haven't played many of the other ones so much but i would say i'm definitely one of those people that really loves ocarina of time it's it is a wonderful game like i think trevor if you had played Ocarina of Time at that point, I can say without a doubt you would have played the rest. Because funny enough, I actually, A Link to the Past is one of the ones I actually have never played that much of. I could not get into that one, which is really strange because a lot of people love it, regardless of whether they love like Ocarina of Time and Joe's Mask or not. Most people always say A Link to the Past is one of the best ones. And I just could never, I've, I've played the other top down ones, the Oracle of Ages and Seasons. I loved uh, Link's Awakening DX for the Game Boy. Absolutely loved that one. I just don't know why. I mean, Wind Waker, like you said, that one had a lot of sort of news around it because so many people were expecting a follow-up to Majora's Mask because that was what came afterwards, wasn't it? So for listeners who don't know about this point, it was Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and then Wind Waker came out. But in between that, there was a demo video that was released at a conference called Space World in like 2000, I think it was. Wind Waker came out in 2003. And it showed a realistic looking Link, like properly rendered as an adult with the Majora's Mask shield, but he was sword fighting Ganondorf in this like photorealism style. And everyone was like, oh my God, we're getting this follow-up to that. And then we got this kid with a big head who was a cartoon and sailing a little boat. I loved it. I loved Wind Waker. I saved up my dinner money for months. I didn't eat at school, so I had enough money to buy it when it came out. And uh, yeah, a lot of people didn't like it for the art style though, but I thought it was infinitely charming, if I'm honest. Yeah, th this happens a lot mm -hmm. in uh, long-running franchises. Gaming in particular, though. Yeah. I, I think I think the particular connection that fans form with the, with the media is a little bit different from other entertainment media because it's interactive and because the amount of time you yeah. spend in that world is so much greater than that of, like, say, a movie or something. So you have less ownership of a movie than you do a game mm -hmm. where it feels... You, you take more possession of it because it's a more intimate experience. But... Um, like I said, this happens in games a lot. Um, for instance, Final Fantasy IX, um, same controversy where everybody was really hype on Final Fantasy VII and VIII, at least over here in the in the States anyway. Mm -hmm. over, over in Japan, actually, uh, the creator of Final Fantasy, I think he cites the ninth as his favorite, but oh, wow. the art style, like a, a return to the more, I don't know, straight up fantasy plus super deformed look to the characters was not heads. well received. <laughs> yeah, it was not well received uh, over here because the expectation was we're going to continue trending towards more and more realistic stuff as the you know graphic graphical processing power increases um, such that you know Square's early off offerings on the PS2 not too long after like the bouncer and stuff that mm -hmm. was 
what people were expecting was um, like those particular character models and stuff. But same thing happened with with Link. The Toon Link design, everybody over here anyway, seemed to shit all over it. I thought it was endearing, and I thought it actually <laughs> the graphical style, like it was very minimalist, but it was the animation quality and the shading was very charming. I it thought it was, yeah, like, very economical in terms of like making the best use of the hardware. Yeah, really. Did you play the? Did you did you see anything of the HD remaster they released on the Wii U? I did not. I I haven't had a, I haven't had a new console since the PS3. Oh wow. Okay. Um, I I wow. kind of I at some point I dumped a bunch of money into souping up my computer and I told myself like Trevor, I know you're a lifelong gamer and stuff, but I don't think you need to be bringing multi multiple hundred dollar consoles into the home every every couple years or something. It's got a it's got to stop somewhere, so I've been a strictly PC gamer and a retro gamer mm-hmm. pretty much since the PS3 and Xbox days, or oh, Xbox 360 days. Yeah, yeah. well, if, if you can, I'd recommend looking up some of the videos because what they did making the HD remaster, it is beautiful. It is amazing. All the bloom lighting with the way the sea looks and the sky art is really, really, really nice. Nice, nice. Um, before uh, before we totally get away from it, um, I did want to backpedal just a second um, about what you were saying about Metroid Prime. Oh yeah. Um, I there's a there's a term that I hadn't heard used uh, until fairly recently, like within the past few years, environmental storytelling, mm-hmm. um, and it's a really fascinating concept because, like like you said, Dark Souls, like any of the Souls games and uh, and Metroid Prime, they mm-hmm. they make liberal use of this where it's not anything explicitly told to you it's just things you can discern from observing the environment and and just sure. looking at, at the history of the landscape and things of that nature um there's a youtuber named uh, noah gervai okay um he actually was from around the the part of the states that i'm from like uh he was he's from washington i think he moved to oregon but uh his name is noah caldwell gervai and uh he makes these long form videos about mostly pc games mm-hmm. um but oh my god like he's wonderful to listen to um again actually he's one of those guys you can fall asleep to uh, he has that kind of per- like speech rhythm to him but yeah uh he he's the guy that introduced this concept to me and uh, that's that seems to be the number one thing that fascinates him is uh, landscapes and the stories that come from them and like just the the history that's evident from observing your environment things of that nature and he talks about a lot of games and pretty much every narrative thread in those games it's like he does exhaustive research it's kind of nuts actually <laughs> um, but highly recommended if if either you're in the mood yeah for that. stick but a link on the uh, in the episode notes something and i'll check them out when the episode comes out will do um and it can't possibly measure up to your uh, handcrafted majora's mask like literal <laughs> majora's mask folks at home you can't see that but um when you're asking about uh gaming related collectibles i i'm a bit of a liar uh, I, I i realized i had a i had something looking right at me so oh, that's why you um, slinked I off have, <laughs> i have this um oh cool it's a neca figure box set of uh, aliens versus predator the arcade game right um, so this is dutch schaefer and uh, lynn kurosawa um have either of you played this arcade game no, I've actually Mm-mm. got the Xbox game sat next to me right now. I pulled it out earlier to get it installed on my Xbox. Is it the same game as that? Or is it a completely different? Oh. Um so there there's a raging debate um forevermore about like beat 'em up games. Like I 
I, I like arcade games quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I I prefer games that are fairly narrow in their focus. Like a beat 'em up is is as narrow as it gets. Just walk to the right, punch everything, and then win the <laughs> win the game or get a game over. Yeah. Uh, put more quarters in, chump. <laughs> but um, Aliens versus Predator, made by Capcom, um, is in my top two, I guess, of best side-scrolling beat 'em ups ever made. Um, wow. And because of licensing problems, it's also the one that never gets remastered or published okay. anywhere like it's an arcade slash emulator only game that um every time they announce like some sort of uh capcom hd collection or something i'm like it's gonna be aliens versus spreader <laughs> and it never is because it's tied up with the fox corporation which is now the disney corporation disney, yeah. and yeah it's it's a clusterfuck and i seriously doubt we'll ever get this game available for download like legitimately mm-hmm. Um, but holy shit! In terms of arcade like experiences, this was the game. This was the like, one. When, yeah, like <laughs> like I said, I don't really collect gaming related collectibles. Um, but this was one that I was like, "You mean they made that shit? Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> shut up and take my money." <laughs> That's like like Brad was saying about his phone codes. It's like that is a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that being said, Brad. Um, Let's move on from the Zelda games and whatnot. And uh, what's what's your next pick from your gaming collection? Well, let's do a let's try a little bit of a transition here. You said deep cut. We got deep. What's in the deep? Sharks. Sharks are in the deep. Who's the most famous shark? Jaws. Jaws is also the name of the villain in the James Bond franchise. So I'm bringing up another Bond game. I'm talking 007 Nightfire. Which uh, I've been working all week on that transition. Yes! All yes! week on that transition. <laughs> um, now, uh, Trevor, I know Trevor's a Bond head. He's got the Bond 50 uh, collection over his shoulder mm-hmm. there. Um, I love the Bond franchise as well. I was going through and watching, rewatching and watching for the first time all the Bond movies leading up to uh, the new one. And then COVID happened and I stopped watching them because I don't know when the yeah. new one's coming out now. But um, I grew up with uh, the movies, more of them, like the more recent movies when I was younger. I I didn't really watch the old ones because, you know, old movies are boring when you're, you know, young. Um, But I loved Goldeneye, played that with my friends, my cousins. But uh, this one, 007 Nightfire, I played a ton as well. Great game. And I I did really like the the multiplayer in this one. but I, I thought the single player was great at, you know, making you feel like you were Bond. Like it had mm-hmm. the, the stealth missions, the, the just the action, straight up action missions. Um, Even the driving missions were good. Yeah, the driving missions were great as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you got uh, Pierce Brosnan in this one. And uh, yeah, it was a ton of fun. Uh, loved, and I kind of noticed with the Tony Hawk games and with this one, they're games that I played a lot of the multiplayer so that might be why they had a bit of a you know connection with me because they were games i played growing up with friends so you know you don't forget those games you don't forget those memories yeah right can i can i just ask you one thing about the multiplayer did you or Mm -hmm. did you not confirm this for us one of you stand at the bottom walking down the wires on the snow level on those little track levels with the homing rocket launcher and shoot them at each other I I know the level you're talking about. I I feel like I probably did do that at some point. That sounds familiar. Yeah, that yeah, sounds familiar. So. Yeah, I think everyone did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We used to do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's, that's so awesome. Those are those are multiplayer gaming memories. Like I, I'm tr- pretty sure everybody in the room here has tons of instances of this, but like I'll never forget. Like Goldeneye, obviously Proximity Mines was the best. Oh yeah, <laughs> just hole up in the archives and make just a death tunnel for anybody who tries to come down there, and it just it completely breaks the game. It's yeah. not competitive anymore at that point. Um, and then Perfect Dark, actually, I had a I had a really fun time with that one with my yeah. friends because we. We would play with the bots, just me and my one buddy, and we had put in a uh, fist sims, and we had this thing we called them the apes. Uh, okay. Whereas there's the one fella, he's like a doctor, and he has like a black tuxedo body, and he's he's built like a gorilla. Um, <laughs> and we'd put the Cassandra woman with like the Brigitte Nielsen like bouffant uh, bleach blonde haircut on the on that body. And then because they were fist sims, all they could do is punch you. So the bots would run up and try to punch you, and you could do whatever you wanted to them. But there was a, a, a little gimmick in the AI where if you put the tranquilizer in there as a weapon, uh, the fist sims, the alternate fire for the tranquilizer was an instant kill, like melee attack. Oh. So basically, it was like it was like a zombie horde mode where if they touch you, it's the touch of death. And you just have these burly things with women's <laughs> heads charging at you, and the second they touch you, you die uh, from a tranquilizer overdose. <laughs> um, oh, I had so much fun with that. But Nightfire, I've never played. Um, I I think I scoffed at them because uh, I was one of those contrarian folks that was you know mm-hmm. thinking like, oh, there's no way it can measure up to Goldeneye, even though. Um, as Harrison had pointed out earlier, going back to Goldeneye is pretty rough. <laughs> like, like it, it, it definitely is not as good as we all remember it. I, I don't know how our our brains were attenuated to it back then. Maybe yeah. like we all had a special sense in our eyes where we could see through the the sea of fog in that game. <laughs> but um, going back to it's pretty rough. But Nightfire, man, the way you're describing it, Brad, it sounds it sounds like a fun time. <laughs> it's a great yeah. Game. Yep. It's it's really fun. There's one mission. It's one of the first missions because I know I played it again and again and again. And it was like the perfect kind of Bond mission where it starts out stealth where you have to like take out some guys at this big mansion complex. Then you have to like put on a disguise, sneak into this party, get this information. And then when you get the information, you get found out. So it ends up in this like big like explosion of gunfire and you know it's just like the perfect like mission to like start stealthy and sort of ramp up into yeah. the extreme That's the action first level. It, it's first level I, yeah is it the first one i knew it was yeah. one of the early ones yeah. it's it's so great it's perfect i've actually been very tempted to get that get hold because i i had that game and my copy just disappeared like i could play it on the gamecube now but i'm very tempted to see if i can get a pc version Legally, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not condoning any kind of emulation or anything like that. We don't condone that on gaming podcasts. I would like someone to send me a copy if they have it. But yeah, I want to play through it again. So that's why I was really glad and got excited when you mentioned that game. And I, I cool. will just say, looking back on GoldenEye, it is really rough going back and playing the original version. But playing the remaster that's been leaked recently, it's actually even twin stick. Like you plug in an Xbox control and it automatically works. So it's nice. a hell of a lot better than you think it's going to be. I will say that. Okay, so it's it's updated the control scheme. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because um, yeah, the the holding the R button to aim, uh, <laughs> that yeah. that's a little antiquated. Actually, it's kind of akin to going back and playing Resident Evil Four mm-hmm. or Five for that matter, where it's all left stick control. Where it's like you have this yeah. you have this right stick available to you, 
but Why we're not using it? the right stick. <laughs> like, you don't need that. <laughs> you don't have two hands. <laughs> it's like, who has two hands? <laughs> you know, you can actually play the N64 version of GoldenEye twin stick if you use two controllers. I seem to remember a friend rigging that up one yeah, time. I, 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 I never, never tried it myself. Knew. And I, I never even tried it. I only found out the other week. And I also found out this week that you can change the color of your screen on your Game Boy Color by entering a code. I was not aware of that. See? No one knows. No one knows I this. Did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all freaked out last night when we were recording when we were talking about it because none of us had even heard that was a thing. <laughs> I have to make a video of you rampaging down the hallways just screaming nobody told me nobody told me. rapidly entering the codes changing the colors <laughs> okay well uh, oh by the way brad uh who's the who's the bond gal in that game because i know um they made a few of those uh non-film affiliated bond games that they actually did recruit like actors and actresses to play some of the people in there is it like Heidi Klum or something? Uh, I, I mean, I'm looking at the back of the box because I don't remember it. it. She does look Heidi Klum-esque, um, but I, I, I don't know who who she is actually. Shan Elizabeth was in one of them, I think, but um, I, I do remember they, they had a big thing about like actually getting, hey, we got actual people for this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, you don't say. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe we'll find that out afterwards, but yeah. Um, suppose ball is to me uh, so i have another super nintendo game although this is not an import this was released domestically mm-hmm. um and don't be impressed by the complete in box nature of this because this this game is literally like eight eight dollars if that complete <laughs> in box <laughs> it's it's not valuable uh but it has sentimental and emotional mm-hmm. value but um, so this game is a uh, metal combat falcon's revenge and uh if you can see mm-hmm. this little icon here it probably mirrored for you but it says a uh, super scope um, oh cool and what that represents is a uh, this was a game that was compatible with the super nintendo super scope peripheral which mm. was shaped like a bazooka and made you feel like a badass as seen in the mario brothers the movie as seen in the super mario brothers movie um they definitely some cross-promotional synergy going on yeah. there but um, this was a peripheral that did not get a lot of love, um, t- despite Nintendo's attempts to push it. Um, you know, those Americans, they, they love their guns and stuff. Yeah. And uh, they probably had like a dozen games or something for it um, in totality. Very similar to like the Virtual Boy lineup. Like it, it, it was a fart in the wind. It didn't exactly work out for anybody. But it worked out for me because I fucking love this thing. And it was all because of this game. Um, I This game came out in like 1994, I think. Uh, so fairly late in the game for the Super Nintendo, and I just have this childhood memory of my brother and his friend uh, playing this game. They rented it, and they stayed up all night playing it, and I guess they had to like return it at noon or something, so there was this like mad dash to beat the game and then run to the Blockbuster to return the rental. I didn't know about that. Like My brother actually told me this after the fact. It's like you, That's why we were trying to beat the fucking game right then and there, <laughs> is because we had to scramble to get it back, otherwise we'd get one of those nasty late fees. But um, I was so enthralled with watching this game, because, again, sprite animation, uh, the 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 quality of the character renderings and the animation and oh my god the music in this game uh super nintendo soundtracks uh axley as a if the snescapades people are listening uh, <laughs> they know that that is one of my very favorite super nintendo soundtracks that's in my top five uh but metal combat falcon's revenge is as well um, i've listened to the, the 
soundtrack for this game countless times. Um, very similar to a fighting game, every character in the game has like their own uh, one and a half minute or one minute loop of music. That uh, Viscount has one of the better ones. Uh, Garum, the first level character, uh, the first fight you have in the game is fantastic. And then there's tons of great tracks in the game. But uh, just watching this game and and this super scope peripheral, like I without even playing it myself, I was just like, man, I really want to have a chance to play that. Uh, so when I when I started re- collecting retro games was probably when I was in like high school. Like everybody was buying PS1 and PS2 games and every once in a while I would go back and instead of dumping like like you said your dinner money or whatever <laughs> like my allowance however you want to phrase it um, I would start dumping that into like collecting Super Nintendo games when I was in high school. So I was like one step forward, two steps back. Um, mm-hmm. I've kind of been that way my whole life. Um, and yeah, I, I actually got a Super Scope at some point, and this was this was the game that I I purchased along with it. And at the time, I did have a CRT television, so I could enjoy it, and I enjoyed the hell out of it for a good long while. And my brother just kept rolling his eyes, being like dude, we have, like, Resident Evil 2, like, right over here. <laughs> like, like what? Why, why don't you just play that? It's like, well, because I didn't get a chance to play this when you guys played it, and now is my chance. Um, but, yeah, I absolutely adore this game, and, and the Super Scope, I, I know it's a little bit jank, but it holds a special place in my heart just because it was one of those examples of me pointing at something and saying, like, I, I know what I want, and even though nobody else seems to think it's worth anything, that's what I want, and I'm going to go get it. <laughs> nice. Was, the, was that the first game you bought with your own money, then? Uh, first game I bought with my own money was probably a Game Boy game or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably wasn't a Super Nintendo game, because those were crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember precisely how expensive a complete, like, brand-new in-the-box retail super nintendo games but i just remember them being very expensive Uh, so i didn't like i didn't purchase my own games until pretty late in life like i was probably almost in high school maybe like 13 14 or something right and it was probably from like a a a funko land or or electronics boutique or something and it was probably a used game um definitely wasn't this one but Mm -hmm. it, it was right around that time period so close it's a special thing when you realize what the first game is that you bought. Like I think mine was, well, mine was Yoshi's Story for the N64. And I spent, it was like 59 pounds. It was expensive back in the day. And it was like, I think it was after my birthday and I'd got, I've, my mum's one of five. So I've got like so many aunties and uncles. I've got 64 immediate family, including cousins. It's like, it's like a mafia wedding when we all get together. It's pretty bad. So I, I you know, <laughs> It was like a big birthday. Maybe I was like 10 or something. And I they gave me a couple of them gave me a fiver each. So I, I ended up dropping the money on that game. But I still have it. And I unfortunately, I threw the boxes away. Like as a kid, I wasn't someone who was thinking these will be worth something in the boxes. I was thinking these boxes are in the way. I can store them better in a plastic case and they won't get dusting until my cat threw up in it. And another story for another time. had to clean every game out with uh q-tips it was not nice oh man Uh, but they all work still they all still work they smell kind of weird but they work so yeah yoshi's story was my first game how about you brad what was the first game that you bought you know i'm not too sure exactly what my first one is but let's just say this is it because it's uh, makes it for a better story i had uh the simpsons road rage (laughs) 
for the PlayStation 2, oh, which yeah. was a very fun game. Love The Simpsons. Um, and the game actually, you know, whether it was through uh, me not taking care of the disc or, you know, I don't know. But the, the disc stopped working. I couldn't, I couldn't play the game anymore. And I loved the game. And so I, I'm guessing I got it as a gift from, like, my mom or something. And I, I went up to her and I'm like, Mom, I love this game, but it's not, it's not working anymore. Can, can you get me another one? And she's like, I'm not buying you another one. You should have taken better care of it. Or she said something like that. So I was like, I guess I got to, you know, break open that piggy bank because I really yeah. like this game. So I went and I, I bought another copy. So, uh, I, you know, let's just say that my first game I bought was rebuying a game that I didn't take care of. That's a good one. That's a very good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I suppose that uh, that's enough game sharing uh, for one session anyway. Mm-hmm. This was a pilot program and uh, hopefully we can continue to do this going forward because this was a shit ton of fun Um, and obviously we all have a lot of stories to share so we're not in short supply there but um thanks both of you uh, for joining me and talking about this stuff so uh may as well do some plug-in here (laughs) let everybody know at home where they can find each and each and every one of us uh in our respective podcast platforms and whatnot so brad from the cinema speak podcast let the folks at home know uh where they can find you yeah, well, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Just search for Cinema Speak. Um, we're also on Twitter at the Cinema Speak. You can follow us there on Instagram as Cinema Speak Podcast, and uh, you can check check us out online on a webpage, cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Fantabulous! Always right off the cuff, right in the holster. <laughs> you got it out there. But um, Harrison from the Grief Burrito Podcast, our esteemed guest. Uh, thank, you very much. thank you so much for joining us this time around. But uh, how about you let the folks at home know where they can find you and your lovely podcast? Sure thing. You can find me personally at Has Wild everywhere, and you can find Grief Burrito at Grief Burrito everywhere. Literally everywhere. We are wherever you can find us. And you can find us on Cephalopod as well, which is the new app that you should have on your phone if it's greater than an iPhone 6. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, focus at home if you're not aware. Um <laughs> I, I did attempt to to be a, a gracious host and uh, download the cephalopod app to support Harrison and the Grief Burrito podcast. Uh, but unfortunately, I learned that uh, my iPhone 6 uh, is too old. It's too <laughs> damn old. <laughs> so I'll have to upgrade and get a hold of that app because it sounds it sounds lovely. Um, Thank you. And I, I look forward to getting it when I get my, <laughs> my yeah, new right. upgraded phone, hopefully very soon. Um but if you would like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit us there if you have uh, any questions or comments, concerns, anything of that nature, or if you just want to tell me how bad I am at reviewing films. Um, And we're also available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine, except for Cephalopod at the moment. (laughs) Um, Oh, you're on there. You just don't have a profile. That's all it is. You mean you put me in there without my permission? I've been listening to you there the whole time. <laughs> oh my god, you dick! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been using your fancy, your fancy schmancy app that I can't use to listen to my show. Safeguarding your well, own. Podcast. That's awesome, though. Yeah, that's awesome that it's in there. Um, but yeah, uh, fucking Google us. We're available pretty much anywhere. We're not hard to find. Uh, but that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you next time. See you later. So hype.